0: This is one of those uh, wonderful times of year where the culture kind of draws us to, in some ways, the right behavior. It's rare that ever our culture drives us towards the right behavior. I always tell people, if you're a Christian, you should never be one that goes with the flow, because the flow of this world we live in will never take you to the throne of God. But this small little week we have, and I call it a week now because Well, it used to feel like Thanksgiving encompassed most of the month of November. Uh, It has now become, as soon as Halloween ends, immediately it's all about Christmas. And really, Christmas is about purchasing things and toys and gifts and uh, going into debt and being aware of all the things you don't have. It's, It's this big consumer thing now. But this one week is this one beautiful week where everybody does, in some way, shape, or form, pause to think about what they're thankful for. To think about not what don't you have, but what do you have? And how thankful are you of those things? Now, I would caution you with this, that even in being thankful, it's very easy to be unbelievably materialistic in our thankfulness. And so, you know, if you ever want to see this, just ask your kids the kind of things they're thankful for, and they'll probably start listing off their video games, their PlayStation, their toys, their bedroom, their favorite, you know, they'll they'll name things. And even us, I think as adults, we do this sometimes. We think about our car, we think about our house. We even think about things like our health, which I would still argue is a thing. And what we really should pause and think about is is what relationships are we thankful for? Because the reality is whenever we base our thankfulness on stuff, we put ourselves at risk. Because whenever our, our thankfulness, or even our identity, whenever these things that are essential to us are based off things, especially things that can be taken from you, well, that means you're not in a very secure position. And we all have gone through this. I think a, a big phase for a lot of people is high school. Right? High school is great at being a time in your life where you get put into a box, whether you want to or not, right? You're an athlete. You're a nerd, you're a band geek, right? You're something. You fit into a certain group, and there's a certain way you dress, there's a certain way you behave, there's a certain group of people you hang out with, and yes, we occasionally float outside of those descriptions, but for the most part, we stay kind of in these little boxes. And then for a lot of kids, college comes, and all of a sudden, it's like, who are you? Right? Because for a lot of us, when college hits, not a lot of us who are athletes continue being athletes. Now, a lot of us who were the smartest person continue to be the smartest person. Why? Because we've gone from a little kingdom of 300 to a huge kingdom of thousands. And so that's why you often see young people searching for their identity. They've based their identity in temporary things. As adults, we do this. We sometimes identify ourselves by where we work or our job title or things that are temporary in nature. And that's why so often when people lose a job, they feel like they don't even know who they are. And so I want you to pause and think just a little bit today when we think about being thankful is what are those things that we can hold on to that don't change? Those things that aren't in the hands of the world or in the culture or even of ourselves, but the things that are in the hands and the identity of God that we know are unchanging. I'd ask you, think for a second about your own self and go, if God were to give you the greatest desire of your heart or if we just had a list of all those things that you really, really want, where on that list would be a more intimate and deeper relationship with God? Would that be number one? Or what would we find? Would we find maybe more money or a nicer house or a car that works? Or would there be things that show up? My hope is for all of us that number one on that list, no matter how close we are to God today, that our hope would be is we could be even closer to know him further, to be more in his word, more in his spirit, greater as an instrument in his hands. And so what I want you to pause today as we look at this story, and you can go ahead and start flipping there. It's in Luke chapter five. I want you thinking about as we read this story. Not what Jesus offers, but who is Jesus. Let me say that again. I want you to think about who is Jesus, not what does Jesus offer. See, brothers and sisters, in America especially, there is this this offshoot of Christianity that we call the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It's very, very common. And in fact, I would say if you turn on your television and watch sermons at home or listen to them on the radio, unfortunately, this is probably the majority of sermons that you hear. This health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And the problem with the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is twofold. One is they take the promises of God, which when God talks about abundance, when God talks about gifts, When God talks about providing you things, he rarely ever is talking about materialistic things. Because to God, the reality is, the world and material items, they pass away. They just disappear. So giving you a gift that's material, well, what is that? It's going to be gone before you know it. Do you guys ever feel that on payday? Right? The money hits your bank account, and like within 45 minutes, it's all gone? (laughs) You're like, it felt nice for that 45 minutes before I paid the bills to feel like I had money. And now I realize I don't, right? God realizes that's the nature of temporary materialistic gifts. And so what God always is talking about when you're reading the Bible about abundance and your cup overflowing is not materialism. He's talking about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. He's talking about these spiritual things that are in your heart and soul and that no man, no disease, nothing on this earth can ever touch. And they're things that aren't temporary. They're things that are permanent. But even in that, be careful. Because the second thing that the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel does, besides replacing spiritual gifts with worldly gifts, is they make the focus the gift, not the giver. And so it turns us into a situation where we look at God, we look at Jesus no more as a genie in a bottle. We look at it as this person where if I go to church, if I give my offering, if I serve, if I do certain good behaviors, he owes me. And Because I've done these things, when I pray to him and I ask him for these things, well then he should give them to me. And then we start to develop this this resentment if we do the right behaviors and we act the right way, but then those things don't happen. And so the second problem is not only what it's hoping for, but that your greater joy comes in what he's giving rather than just in him. Now, where this is sad, brothers and sisters, is we totally understand in relationships here on earth, that sucks. Right? If you've ever been in a relationship where you knew the person was only being nice to you because of your position or what you had, did you ever enjoy that relationship? No, if you know someone's being nice to you because you're their boss, or they're being nice to you because they want a ride, or they're being nice to you because you're the person who has a truck and they need to move in three weeks, right? that doesn't feel good because what do you know? you know if the moment you sell the truck, you no longer are valuable. You know the minute you don't have money, you'll no longer be on the friends list. You know that your relationship is not built on true love, it's built on what you have. And this is why you see so many insecure relationships. Right, it's the beautiful girl who gets married and then she gets a little bit older, and doesn't look like she used to before, wonders, will he still love me? I, myself, have this concern all the time with Nicole. I mean, I know I'm gorgeous now, but you should have seen me seven years ago. Regular model. And I just wonder, will she still love me when I just become regular gorgeous and not super gorgeous? I don't know. You know? Gift and curse all at the same time. But seriously, right, we do worry about these things. And how many times do you see celebrities at the moment that they don't have fame or they don't have money what happens to their relationships? They break. And so I caution you is your relationship with God is your love for him built on for built on what he has for you or just who he is? See the people you love for who they are, you just want to be around them. You don't care if they're broke. You don't care if they're healthy. You don't care if you're doing something fun. You just want to be around them because they're awesome. Right? Have you ever had those people in your life that you could be doing the worst job in the world, but if you're doing it with them, you have the most fun? It's like, it's why I love my brothers. Me and my brothers could dig trenches for hours and we would have a blast. Because the whole time we would just be joking and making fun of each other and, telling stories, and it's a terrible job, but we'd love it because we're around the right people. And meanwhile, I've worked in very nice jobs with very bad people and hated every second of it. When it comes to your love for Jesus, why do you love him? Do you love him because you hope he grants your prayers? Do you love him because you hope one day he'll get you into heaven? Do you love him because you're hoping he's going to give you blessings? Or do you just love Jesus? Because he's awesome. He's amazing. He's wonderful. In Luke chapter 5, we get one short story, but in the short story, there is so much revealed to us about who he is. And so many of these things that are revealed are the very reasons for me that I go, like, this is my Lord. This is why I follow him. And so I just want to read through and reflect on some of these things that we see Christ reflecting in his character. So in Luke chapter 5, it says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and we caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets." When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners and the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man for amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So let's break this down, because there's a few just awesome things I love about Jesus in this. The first is, is you just find Jesus doing what Jesus does, which he's teaching. And he's teaching with such a charisma and with such an authority that the crowds are just flocking in. Do you get the picture? The picture is he's on the beach and he's preaching to the crowds and why that was often a good place was surrounding a lot of the beaches in Israel is you have these hills that kind of form a natural amphitheater. And so if Jesus stands at the shore and preaches, the sound's reflected back by the hills around him. But the problem is he's preaching so beautifully, so eloquently and with such authority that the crowds are pressing in to the point that he has no room. They're just everywhere. And so he asked Simon, hey, let me get in your boat and let's like go out into the water a little bit just to get me some distance so I can speak to these people. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the first thing I just love about Jesus. He is so wise, and he's so powerful in his teaching. In Mark, it tells us about his preaching, and in Mark it says, in verse twenty-one of chapter one, it says they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching to them as one who had authority and not as the scribes did. See, the difference between Jesus' preaching and the scribes was what scribes would often do when they were trying to convince you is yes, they would use the the scripture, but then they would also use name dropping. So imagine if I was up here and I'm telling you the sermon going, and, and if you don't believe this point, John MacArthur says this is right, and Charles Stanley says, This is right. And Joel, oh, well, I wouldn't say Joel Osteen. Um, Max Lucado says, this is right. And I would be using those names, not just my own knowledge and not just the authority of God's word to try to convince you this is right. And so really, whenever you heard the scribes preach, it felt like a sales pitch. It felt like they were trying to beg and convince you that this was Right. But when Jesus preached, there was no name dropping other than the name of God. And he preached as a man not trying to convince you that what he was saying was right. He preached as a man who knew this is the truth. And that authority and that power, it brought the people in. People flocked to hear the word of God. Not just an inspirational speech, but the word of God. And he stood by it. If you ever read Jesus, just read through the New Testament and listen to the sermons he gives. Do you know what's beautiful about them? They all come from his father. Anything Jesus said would have been perfect and right. But what does Jesus always reference? The Old Testament. The word given by his father. Father. Jesus stands in the word and uses the word to change people's lives. And that's what you see happening in this moment. Jesus, the teacher of the word. The second thing you see is you see the power of Jesus. I love this exchange that happens between Jesus and Peter. Right? After he's done preaching, after everybody's starting to leave, Jesus tells Peter, hey, Let's go fish. Let's go out into the deep, let's throw the nets out, let's do this. And, and you can tell Simon Peter does not have a desire to do this. And it makes sense, because Simon's a professional fisherman. right? As much as he likes Jesus, like, this is Peter's job. This is what he does. He has just spent a whole day working with great effort at the right time and in the right place to catch fish, and there's nothing. He knows going out to the deep right now at the wrong time and in the wrong place and fishing is going to be a lot of work that eludes or leads to nothing. It's going to be a waste. And you see that he tries to he tries to like kindly say that. Notice he says, "Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing." Right? He's trying to say they're like this is this is not going to work. But then notice what he says. But I will do as you say, and let down the nets. See, at this moment, Simon Peter has enough respect for Jesus that even though he thinks this is going to be a complete and utter waste of time, he will do what Jesus asks because he respects him. And in this moment, what we see from Jesus is God power. See, what's beautiful about this story is this isn't Jesus got lucky. There's no way these men should have caught fish. And definitely not a lot. It was the wrong place. It was the wrong time. There's no way this could have happened except for if you're in the boat with the creator of the universe. Jesus is the guy that says, let there be light, and the sun appears. So if he wants to go fishing in the wrong time, in the wrong place, guess what he can make happen? Fish showing up. And what happens is not just some fish. But so much so that this professional fisherman group starts to have their equipment break and two of their boats start to sink. And so what we're reminded of in this subtle and little way is the unbelievable power of God. God is so powerful, brothers and sisters. And we forget this day in and day out. That power is Yes, it should make us have an awesome fear and respect of him, but it also should comfort us. Because guess what, day in and day out, you are gonna face things that are bigger, badder, and uglier than you. There's gonna be things in this life that you face that will terrify you to your soul if you know it's you versus it. But you don't have to worry about that. As a believer, it's not me versus the bad guy. It's my Lord versus the world. And he has way more power than I could ever dream of. That power reminds me that God is bigger than anything I face. It reminds me that even in the darkness, even in the chaos, evil, in places where evil reigns, God's still powerful. And he can do as he pleases. And in this moment, well, in a small way, right? It's not like he splits the sea, right? Just in a small way, he shows that power and declares it. Now, the third thing I love. The third thing I love is that Jesus so much cares about the individual. And that's always been amazing to me because if you've ever studied kind of like trying to lead a large group of people, it's so easy to get caught up in the large group that you sometimes miss the individual. Right? You're so focused on the hundreds, you miss the one. And I've always thought with God how easy it would be for him to just see the large group. I mean, think about if you're God. Right? You've got billions of people. You hear all their thoughts. You hear all their prayers. You know all their needs. Every single one of them is your child. That blows my mind because I'll be honest. I only have three kids. And sometimes what I'll see happening is I focus so much attention here on one, I completely miss what the other two deviants are doing. Right? You rein this one in and the other two go nuts. And even when they're not bad, there's moments in time where like you're so focused this happened to us when when Elle was first born, my youngest, an infant just consumes your life, right? They need you constantly and literally for their survival. And I remember about like nine months in when she started to get a little bit more self-sustaining, we like glanced at the other two and we like, when did you guys get so big? What happened? And all it was is that we just weren't as focused in that short time on them as we were the baby. And it's like, what What happened? God has billions of children. God is trying to defeat sin. God is trying to wipe out death. God is trying to correct the universe. How easy would it be for him to miss me? And if we're honest, I think all of us at a certain moment in our lives have thought that. I think all of us at certain moments have sat down, looked at what's happening in our lives and go, I, I don't know, I think maybe he's just forgotten me. Maybe, maybe there's just, you know, he's, he's just kind of missing what's happening. But see, this story tells us that's a lie. See, in the midst of Jesus trying to build his ministry, in the midst of Jesus trying to recruit his followers, in the midst of him trying to defeat sin and death, he also still cares just about that one guy in the boat, Peter. And so notice what happens after this miraculous catch. It says, But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish they had taken. So so notice what was being described to us. Everybody in the boats is amazed. Everybody in the boats is excited. All of them are caught up in what just happened because all of them know what happened. It's unexplainable, right? These guys, this is their jobs. They know what they're doing. You don't just have this happen, right? This is like your professional baker. You put one cake in the oven, you open it, and 80 cakes come out. And they're the tastiest, most beautifully decorated cakes you've ever seen in your entire life. You don't just go like, well, that was lucky. You're like, no, that's impossible. So everybody's caught in amazement. But notice Peter. Something more happens for Peter here. And I think it was completely and utterly intentional on the Lord. Notice Peter has been listening to Jesus. Peter has probably grown up knowing who Jesus is. They probably have had a a friendly acquaintanceship throughout their time. This is not a huge town that they grow up in. And so he's heard him preach. He's heard him teach. He probably saw him be baptized. At none of those times do we see yet that Peter is ready to become a disciple. But when Peter sees those fish come in, what does he know? He knows this is God. And you can see that for him, this is bigger than amazement. Because while everybody else is excited about what's happening, Peter all of a sudden has fear hit his heart. He hits his knees and he goes, Lord, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. Why? Because in that moment, he, his eyes are opened and he realizes this isn't just some teacher of God. This is God. I'm in a boat with the creator of the universe. I am standing next to the perfect father of all. He has no flaws and he must know all of mine. And so This is a beautiful side note for you. Notice that when most of us actually experience the glory of God, the first thing that will hit us is fear. Because when you really experience the true perfection and glory of God, do you know what you immediately realize about you? I'm not that. And so Peter falls and goes, Lord, I am a sinful man. And why I love this about Jesus is, I think that whole event occurred just for Peter. I think Jesus made that miraculous catch occur for no one else other than Peter. He knew Peter had heard the teaching. He knew Peter had seen different things, but he knew that he was still wondering. And he needed something to convince him. For Peter, fish spoke. That was his world. That was his life. That's what he knew. And when he saw this miracle occur, that was it. From then on, Peter knew that's God, and I love that about Jesus, that he so intimately knows us and cares about us, that even while he's trying to save the world, he will still act for you. He will still do that one little thing that's unique to you that you need in the right place at the right time and in the right moment to make you realize this is God and he has a plan for you beautiful is that? I mean, brothers and sisters, it would be amazing to have an awesome, powerful God, just in any way, shape, or form. But then to have one that wants to have a personal relationship with you. To have one that's actually thinking about your life, your plans, your destiny, and what you need. How awesome is that? How amazing is that to know you have a perfect, loving God and all he wants is you. All he wants is you. Now we have the fourth thing. And this one is probably the most amazing of them all. Right? We've seen this unbelievable authority in teaching the word. We've seen that he has this this. Amazing power and ability. We've seen that he is willing to act for you, the individual. But then look what happens next, because this is what just kind of shakes everything. Peter's on his knees, going, Away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve to be in your presence. And to be honest, brothers and sisters, that's true for all of us. If God was truly fair, you and I would not be able to call him Father. If God was truly fair, you and I would never set foot in heaven. It's for the perfect. It's for the sinless. I'm not that. Neither are you. Try our very best. Do whatever we think we can do to make good in this world. What none of us will ever be is sinless or perfect. And that's what his home is for. We don't belong. We don't. And that's what Peter realizes. This is why Peter is afraid. afraid. Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. He knows, I I shouldn't even be around you. But look what Jesus says. Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. And then what happens? They left everything and followed him. Peter is struck with this fear, realizing he does not deserve God, and what does Jesus say? Son, I want you to come work with me. So not only does that not matter, not only am I being in your presence, I want you to work with me. I want you to be part of what I do. I want you to stop just doing the temporary that will wipe away and no one will ever remember and I want you to be part of the eternal. Yes, you're sinful. Yes, you're not perfect but I don't care because I love you. You're mine and if you want to, you can come be part of what I have. You can come be part of my kingdom. Brothers and sisters, it amazes me every day of my life that I get to have the honor of having a role in God's kingdom. I don't deserve that. That I get to serve him, that I get to help build his kingdom, that I get to help take his word and share it to the world. How awesome is that? I've worked at a company for 15 years and you know what I've realized? I could disappear tomorrow, and they wouldn't skip a beat. And that's not because I'm bad at my job. I think I'm pretty good at my job, but I'm unbelievably replaceable. And there has been some projects that I have spent years of my life working on. Millions of dollars have been invested in them, and for a brief moment in time, they were actually pretty impactful. And then you know what happens? Nine months passes, and they're completely obsolete. No one remembers them. No one remembers that I worked on them. Nobody remembers any of the effort that went into it. It doesn't matter. And this happens everywhere. I mean, just look at any field. There are unbelievably awesome NFL football players that you can't remember. And at one point in their lives, they were the most famous and best players in the entire world. There are unbelievable actors who at one point had more fame than anybody else, and you don't know about them. I was watching a movie the other weekend. It was Ford versus Ferrari, and they were talking about the Le Mans race. And they were showing how at one point in time, Americans were sitting and watching Le Mans. And I'm like, nowadays it happens and no one even knows. And they're talking about these races this guy wins and how he'd won three of them, and they made him a superstar, and he was unbelievably famous. And I'm like, I've never heard of the guy. This is 50 years ago. We're not talking 500 years ago. We're talking 50 years ago. And at one point, this guy's one of the most famous people on the earth, and no one now knows who he is. But God looks at us and goes, build something that will stand forever. Forever. I will let you be part of something that 300 trillion years from now will still stand. How awesome is that? See brothers and sisters, when I look at a story like this, I'm just struck by how amazing he is. And when I read a story like this, it answers the question of why would I be willing to give everything I have and everything I am to him? Because he's this. He's the amazing son of God who speaks with authority and wisdom who not only cares about all, but cares about me. Who acts and does for my benefit. And who even though he knows my sin, even though he knows my weakness, he still lifts me up and offers me the chance to be part of his perfection. How awesome is that? If you want something to be thankful for this year, you don't have to look any further than him. Because to know that this man lives and this man loves you that's enough if that is true you can't have a bad day because nothing you lay in comparison to that can hide that light that's what we should be thankful for not for what God gives us but for who he is because he is awesome Let's
1: pray.
0: Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that through his words and through his actions, you have shown us so much love. You've shown, shown us so much power. You've shown us so much forgiveness. Father, as we come through this week, where we will be thinking about all the things we are thankful for, may the top of the list, Lord, be you and your son. To know, Lord, that we can call you Father is such a gift. Father, I pray that our hearts, our minds, and our souls will be consumed by the awesomeness of you. And that, Father, we won't just think about the things you've blessed us with, which are so numerous. But we'll just think about how wonderful it is to be in your presence. To hear your voice, to feel your touch, and to know that we are yours. Father, we love you. And in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Before we take Lord's Supper, Maria is going to come up and lead us in a song. As she's singing, if there's anything on your hearts that you just want to pray with somebody about, whether that's accepting the Lord and Savior as as your Lord and Savior. Or whether that's just something in your life that you're going through, and you want to know somebody else is praying for it, uh, feel free to come up and see myself. Brother James will be in the back. Uh, we are here always to pray with you, and always if you don't feel comfortable walking up during service, seek us out after. We're here to talk at any time. Marie.
1: Let's all stand. I stand. Raised in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and wonder how He could love me, a sin Could love me, a sinner condemned, unclean? Singing how. with me singing high
0: 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it speaks of the Lord's Supper. And it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." So brothers and sisters, as we prepare ourselves to take the Lord's Supper, I remind you of the things I always remind you of. First and foremost, this isn't about the bread or the juice. It's about proclaiming that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And that in that we acknowledge that he is son of God, came to earth, died on a cross for our sins, and three days later, rose from the dead, defeating death and sin. And that not only do we believe that, but because we believe that, we have chosen to follow him all the days of our lives. The wisdom of God's word instructs us that as we take Lord's Supper, we do need to respect the structure he has put in place. And so there's a few things he's asked us. One, only believers should take the cup and the bread. Two, if there are any sins that we know of in our hearts that we have refused to lay at his feet, that we refuse to repent from, we should abstain from the cup and from the bread, and we should first focus on getting right with him. And three, if there is a brother or sister in Christ who has asked for our forgiveness and we have refused to give it, we should also abstain from taking the bread and the cup and make it our priority to get right with our brother and sister. And so as these are being passed, I just ask you to be in prayer, to be thinking about where you stand with God, and making sure that as you do this, your heart is in a place to proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Let us pray over the bread. Dear Heavenly Father, as we take this bread, Lord, we're reminded of the body of Jesus. The body, of the Lord, that served as the sacrificial lamb. The body that was broken and beaten and put to death, not for anything he did, Lord, but for the sins that we committed. Father, that you love us so that you are willing to sacrifice your one and only son to pay our debt is an unbelievable act of love. And an act, Lord, that has changed our hearts and our souls. As we take this bread, Lord, we proclaim Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. In his wonderful name we pray. Amen. In Mark chapter 14, verse 22, it says, While they were eating it, he took some bread, and after a blessing he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. As a family, let us eat. It continues on and says, And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we take this cup, Lord, may we be reminded of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus, Lord, that not only washed away our sin, but that covers us with his righteousness. So that from that point forward, Lord, no longer when you looked at us did you see sinners, but you saw the beauty and perfection of your Son, Jesus Father, that you have clothed us in his righteousness, that you allow us to be your children. It's such a beautiful and wonderful gift. Father, I pray that as we take this cup, we'll be reminded of the unbelievable honor we have to represent you as we walk out these doors each and every day. And Father, may we do that with honor, may we do that with great effort. All the time, Lord, looking forward to that day and that we share this cup again with you in heaven. Remembering what this cup stands for, let us drink as a family. It tells us in the book of Mark that after they had taken the Lord's Supper, that together they sang a hymn. So I ask you to please stand with us as we sing our closing hymn.
1: There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. There are sweet expressions on each face, and. and so Without a doubt, we'll know that we have been revived when we shall leave this place.
0: God bless you all. Have a great Thanksgiving. Remember, no services Wednesday. Enjoy your time with your family if you're traveling safe travels. And we will see you next Sunday. God bless.